You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, cranking a beat or something, and yeah. right in the face, punch a little baby right in. <laughs> we'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast, and yet to bring up not one sport. Roll out. All right, welcome in. It is episode 102 of the Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Shadon. With me today, remotely, as always, is Spencer Maddox. Spencer, we're fresh off of uh, Valentine's Day, fresh off of a Super Bowl, fresh off of the end of football season. Season 6, Episode 2 of Hot Grits Podcast. How you living, Spencer? Pretty heartbreaking Super Bowl for uh, Cincinnati fans like myself. And, dude... I, th- I think I sent you a Snapchat of me just in disbelief that literally every single one of my bets that I had placed that night, which was a like you know a solid amount of change, was still in play as of the, the last play of the game, basically, like with 50 seconds to go, and just fell just a little bit short. So the Rams Brutal, beat man. the Bengals 23 to 20. Um, the Bengals are up 20 to 16 late in the fourth quarter. We're not going to like recap the individual plays from the game, but right. walk us through, walk us through your bet, Spencer, when the Bengals are up 20 to 16 and the Rams are about to go on what would be the game winning drive. Wh- where were your bets standing? So you had Bengals money line. I had Bengals money line. I had Bengals money line parlayed with the over. Which was what, 48 also, and a half? Yeah. Um, I also had, which was still very much in play, yeah. I also had an overtime bet parlayed with a Bengals money line win, which I was literally screaming at the TV uh, for that one. That one's that was the big one. Um, that would have paid out just like a ridiculous amount of money. And so uh, you're saying that you had the way to win that bet would have been Bengals winning an overtime football game. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely possible when, once the Rams took a 23, 20 lead and then the Bengals were driving back downfield. Right. And I'm, I'm not even sure how my book allowed that bet. Like, because I've never been able to do bets like that before where it was like these like specific things parlayed together. Um, but like, I was a huge fan of that. And I like, oh my God, dude, when, when the Rams scored to go up by three and gave Joe Burrow the ball, I was like, we're going overtime, baby. Like, I, I was certain <laughs> there was, there was no doubt in my mind. And, uh, just fell a little bit short, man. So but did you win? What an did off, you... like, did you win any bets? Yeah, I won like a few like smaller ones. Uh, I, I don't remember. Well, I'm they thinking don't, they don't of a specific one here. I can tweet them out after the show, but there was there was like some smaller like player ones that I hit. I know Did you, you hit the over one and a half or over two, um, over two players attempting a pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I hit that one. That one was cool. Which, I think which I had because nice uh, we're a pro halfback passing podcast. I think I had over on 
a couple OBJ bets that I hit on. But overall, I lost pretty significantly. I was definitely, you know, down for the game. Yeah. So I came out I came out a little bit positive, but not even a full unit positive. I, I won Bengals uh I won Bengals plus four and then I won the opening kickoff for a touchback, minus one ten. But I oh, lost nice. I was gonna take the over on the points because I thought it was gonna be significantly more points. But I yeah. didn't get my over bet in, in time, so you and I did the odds evens bet. Yeah, and I won that one. Oh, I got to pay you for that. Yeah. I was going to bring it up on air. I did lose that bet. 23-20, that means it was ended on an even. It ended on three, or it ended on an odd number three. Even though I lost lost significant money on the day, at least I took a little bit of yours. You know? (laughs) Yeah, which is always a positive. Um, All right, well, let's talk more about the Super Bowl. First, Coach's Corner, our title sponsor. they took the Super Bowl and they just kicked its ass, basically. They dominated the Super Bowl. Um, now that football season is over, still go to 3016 East Victory Drive for all of your sports watching needs. Still got basketball, still got college basketball, March Madness coming up right around the corner. Um, 912-352-2933. If you want to call ahead, that's Coach's Corner, the number one sports bar in Savannah. They got hot wings, Spencer. They got cold beers, Spencer. They have 196 billion televisions, Spencer. That's what they got. So tell them your server and bartender that the Hot Grits podcast sit you, and they'll hook it up on your bill. Coach's Corner, find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also check out the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network, Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain um, and Carl DeMossi on Saturday mornings. Uh, golf coming up, 19th hole, the Herb Brothers coming up in late March, early April. So stay tuned for that as well. Spencer, I've been watching our guy, Brandon Bain, Rubbin' and Grubbin' show, um, Coach's Corner Sports Network. It's been like three or four episodes since he's even mentioned us. And so I wonder, dude, I wonder if he's mad at us or if we did something wrong. Do, do you have any takes? I know you don't know that he didn't mention us for several episodes, but I'm not sure if we did something wrong or not. Well, yeah, I can't be mad because I haven't listened to the show. All that, although that is my guy, Brandon's my guy. You don't guy. even listen to um, this show. Yes, I do. Okay, I believe you. Dude, don't tell the listeners that. I definitely listen to our show. Oh, I believe you. I support. Yeah, I, I, I listen. I take notes on what you can improve on every time. Oh, okay, I'll I'll edit this part out. <laughs> but no, yeah, that that is tough, dude. Uh, show some love, Brandon. You know. We Maybe it's because we're not we NASCAR love, guys. We just want a little love in return, you know? Yeah, that's all we want, just a little bit. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump into the Super Bowl, dude. Let's talk about some of the bigger plays. Um, what I'm going to do, Spencer, is sort of go chronologically through this, and then you just chime in um, if you remember certain moments or certain plays that, that you had takes on. Is that cool? Yeah. All right, cool. First quarter – uh, the Rams lead seven to three after one. Um, six runs, four passes for the Rams in the first ten plays. I think that was sort of a sign of what was to come. The Rams were just completely unable to run the ball, but that didn't stop them from banging their head against a brick wall and continuing to try to run the ball. Um, they ended up rushing the Rams did Spencer for one point nine yards per rush. That's the fewest amount of yards per rush for any Super Bowl winner ever in Super Bowl 
history. The Bengals ended up getting on the board with a first quarter field goal, the Joe Burrow bomb to Jamar Chase, got them on the board, got them in the red zone, then they bogged down. Um, so it was seven to three, relatively, relatively standard and clean played first quarter. Spencer, I didn't see anything that was, that was too crazy to start. I, no, do I think didn't that, like, I ahead. didn't like the game plan from either team though. Like you, you mentioned the runs, like I, I talked about before, I wanted to see Joe Burrow get the ball out of his hands quickly. I I felt like they did that at times, but it, it seemed like they were tempting fate even early on in the game, and it came back to bite him, obviously, later on. Um, but I definitely didn't like the play calling from the Rams. Like, why do you stick to the run like that? You know what I mean? Like, they get the first score, and then it seems like, I don't know. Like yeah, you said, just bang like, their head against the wall. Yeah, I think that... And look, the Bengals weren't world beaters stopping the run all season, but they were like, that wasn't something that people were like, oh, you can expose the Bengals by running the ball against them. I mean, they were more yeah. than serviceable stopping the run, but they dominated up front, at least in the run game. And that's something that the, the Rams did all playoffs. They kept trying to run the ball and really never were they able to do it. I mean, think about it. Stafford and the Rams just won a Super Bowl without any semblance of a run game. So the old adage that you got to run the ball and play defense. I mean, they just turned that on its head because they were completely one dimensional offensively. I mean, the, the Bengals though, on the Bengals side of things, Spencer, I liked what they were doing early in the game. Joe Burrow got sacked seven times in the game, but six of those came in the second half. I think they were yeah, there was, doing good things it was all early late. in the game. No, I, it, I didn't have a problem with, like the play calling from the Bengals side, I did like I was saying we need to, he needs to get the ball out of his hands quicker because at some point they're going to get to him and they did. You know what I mean? Uh, he managed to he managed to stay upright for the most part in the first half, like you said, but it did come back to bite them in the end. You know what I mean? Like you can't keep tempting fate like that over and over and over against that front. So second quarter, um, I thought Matt Stafford was dynamite. In the second quarter, um, like I said, the Rams take a 7-3 lead into the second stanza. And then Stafford, really, with one of his best drives of the game, ends up finding Cooper Cup for Cup's first touchdown, sort of on a, um, a little out route, just like a yard into the end zone. Um, and the Rams take a 13-3 lead. Spencer, that extra point that they missed there seems like it might be significant at a time and really – it sort of was because at the end of the game, when the Bengals are down three, they would have been down 24-20, and that would have probably changed their whole mindset coming down on that last drive. So 13-3, to and then Cincinnati answers in the second quarter, Spencer, with your favorite play of the game, Joe Mixon, halfback pass, uh, one year bet for you and made it 13-10 to in so favor awesome. of the Rams. That's where it went to halftime. Um, also, late in the first half, Spencer, that's when Odell Beckham got hurt, and Odell Beckham was dominating, or not dominating. I mean, he was he was on his way to what looks like a possible MVP performance. I mean, he was the the go to guy up until he got hurt with 3:50 left in the second quarter. Um, any takes on the second quarter for you, Spencer? The Rams led 13 to 10 and a half. Um, I will say I circled the OBJ injury. And at that point, I thought that was going to be the momentum that Cincinnati needed. Like that, 
that kind of I felt like that was going to tip the scales in favor of Cincinnati. Um, it still felt like the Rams were winning the overall game. You know what I mean? Obviously, they were ahead at that point, but it, it felt like the Rams were the better team when OBJ was on the field. Um, and I thought that might tip the scales towards Cincinnati. Uh, and I guess it did briefly, but oh man, no. I mean, I don't. I don't have any like takes on the second quarter. <laughs> yeah, halftime I guess. show takes so. Yeah, we got some halftime takes for sure coming up. Um, I thought it was interesting. Stafford eleven through th- for thirteen for one hundred and fifty six yards and two touchdowns. That's really really freaking good. He was so good. I thought Spencer at like maneuvering the safeties of the Bengals with his shoulders and his eyes. Like he's really, really good. Stafford is at looking one way the entire first three to four seconds of a play and then just humming it back to the opposite side, like where he knew he was going to go all along. Um, right. I think for all the criticism, It feels like he's done that well his entire career, like even going it? back to Georgia. Yeah, it really does. Mm-hmm. And he just looks in full control. I mean, there are throws that he misses. Like, let's be real about that. He's not Tom Brady. Stafford isn't. But, I mean, you could just tell. This is why people have been talking about Matt Stafford for a decade and a half since he was coming out of high school in Texas. I mean, you can see why people were saying he was one Super Bowl away or, or, you know, one good season away from being a Hall of Famer. Um, I think in that first half, he, he showed why. The Rams also now, Spencer, led at halftime. They were 47-1 and under Sean McVay when leading at halftime, so it did not bode well for the Bengals. Um, the third quarter, Spencer, started with some fireworks. Obviously, there's the T. Higgins play where it looks pretty obvious that there's a pass interference on the play. Um, that's how the Bengals take the lead Basically, one play into the first, the face mask play, yeah, yeah, into the third quarter, and that was the face mask that was not a face mask. Um, right after that, Matthew Stafford threw an interception, um, and the Bengals had the ball in the third quarter with a seventeen to thirteen lead. That was their golden opportunity to put the pedal on the metal, so to speak, and run away with the game. They did not do that, obviously. But what do you think of that T. Higgins play to start the third quarter? I, I When I first saw it, I was like, well, they could call pass interference on either play. When you see the replay, it looks pretty egregious. Yeah, it, when it was live, uh, I heard somebody say that's a face mask, and I don't know how they saw that uh, from just the broadcast. Um, it did not look like – it didn't look like an egregious miss to me. I thought it was like a good no call. But obviously, yeah, I mean, he got him on the face mask. It's tough to see those. It, it happens. It was such a bang-bang play. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And the refs had not been calling. They'd been letting the guys play. Like, it was pretty nice. Yeah. All game up until the final, you know, the final few minutes. Really? The I, was, I literally wrote that like, down. Really? I wrote that down. Like, there haven't been a lot of flags. This has been a pretty, you know, it hasn't been a flawless game, but it had been a pretty clean game. Right. Up yeah, until that I, point, uh, so I didn't want them to call that. I was glad it happened because it really gave us a talking point. You know what I mean? Up and up until that point, it was just too clean of football. Like, there's got to be some <laughs> kind of controversy. You know what I mean? That's so funny. That's the way your brain works. You're like, dude, what 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 are my takes going to be? Like, how am I going to even have a take <laughs> on this game? It was a good game. Uh, pretty well played. Run the ball. 
those are the oh, extent th- of dude, the dude, take. Thank God. Thank God, like, the Bengals didn't win on something like that because we would have never heard the end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, from our guy Dees, who you heard on the Super Bowl preview. Yeah, he episode. would have been defending that play for the rest of his life. He would have been saying, it's not a face mask. That poor bastard, dude, flew all the way to Cincinnati to watch his team lose a Super Bowl on the opposite coast. Brutal. Tough. Tough. But he got he it in. He got it in while he was up there, dude. Had the pregame cigar working. I saw uh, you tweeted that out also. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, look, third quarter ends, and we got ourselves a pretty good football game. I think we can skip a lot of the stuff early in the fourth quarter um, and go right to the Rams going on their 15-play, 79-yard, 4 minutes and 50-second touchdown drive I mean unquestionably the defining drive of Matt Stafford's career to this point I don't think that's an overstatement and I also think that it was the kind of drive that if you're the Bengals and you and you end up losing this game it's obviously the drive you look back and you say well I feel like they probably beat us here and we didn't beat ourselves so it's a little you know that's a historic drive right Spencer that drive for the Rams and Stafford has to be one of the better Super Bowl drives of all time, uh, as far as the situation, you know, and the score goes. Yeah, absolutely. And at the time I thought that was the drive that won Matt Stafford, the MVP, um, that ended up not being the case. Um, which I thought, honest to God, I think that might be the biggest talking point coming out of the Super Bowl is that a quarterback didn't win the MVP. That was Nuts, dude. That just never happens. Yeah. And, I mean, I think they got it right, though. Uh, I mean, They did. And on, look, Stafford didn't right. play – like, I don't think he deserved to be the MVP. He didn't play A-plus. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think he did either. You know, the interception, you know. It feels like we, he know. threw it, two picks, but it feels like he was yeah, who we thought he was. Like, he had – he has the raw talent to make some of those throws, and he's definitely good enough to win a Super Bowl. I, I don't know – you know, the penalties down the stretch there of that last Rams drive were, I don't know. You know, I don't know where to begin with them, but I, I think we have to start on the one called against the linebacker on fourth down. I think it was fourth down when they got called. he got called for holding or pass interference against Cooper Cup. That, that was in the end zone, correct? No, no, no. It was before the end zone. That the one in the end zone was called, and I thought that was pass interference. Like that was a good call. Right. The one before that was like on the five or ten, like somewhere down there, and Cup's coming across the middle, and he gets Stafford throws it a cup, and the ball gets batted down by the linebacker Wilson, I think for the Bengals, the white guy, and he gets called for right. a little baby holding just before the ball arrives. That's um, right. That's right. It was a yeah, I remember call, thinking that it, one was, it hadn't been called all game up until that point. Yeah, I remember thinking that one was like a, obviously a huge penalty, but I I hated that call and Yeah, that call sucked. Dude, you, yeah, you just can't make call like it's you can't make calls like that for everyone involved. Like I don't know. That's not how you want to win a Super Bowl and it sucks that something like that so like Nominal almost played such a pivotal role, but 
I still think the Rams were the better team. Like, I, I don't think so do they I. were gifted this game in any way. But and, and can we call it the T. Higgins that, face mask? Like, can we call it even after those? That's that's sort of what I was thinking. I was like, well, yeah, you know, they're not equal, but like, there was one call that didn't go the Rams' way that probably should have the T. Higgins face mask, and then there's one call that should have gone the Bengals' way that probably should have, like, you know. It just sucks that it happened so late in the game. You know what right. I mean? On such a crucial drive. Like, right. They take the lead with that too. Like, ugh, that so, sucks. But the next the, one, the one in the end zone, you're right, was for sure a pass interference. It just, it felt, it felt like they were getting jobbed because they came back to back. You know what I mean? But the second one was for sure a pass interference in my mind. The first one, not so much. And I thought the Bengals, even after that, were going to, I thought there was a chance that they could hold. They've been pretty good um, all year keeping teams to field goals in the red zone instead of, you know, six, seven points. The Rams at one point tried the Cooper Cup pass to Matt Stafford down there by the end zone, and that just goes to show you, once Odell Beckham went out, the Rams' second-best receiver may well have been Matt Stafford because they were running out guys that had no business being in the middle of a Super Bowl game-winning drive. It was Cooper Cup and everyone else. The Ben Skoranek guy was terrible. Um, Van yeah. Jefferson was I, so I did pretty wanna, bad. I did want to say that about about the Matt Stafford MVP. That second, I think it was the second interception. It was after Odell's out. It bounces off one of his one of the receivers' hands. It was clearly not his fault. So like, yeah, I did have that thought. I was like, oh man, that was like, right after. Made, that was early in the third quarter. Right after the Bengals scored on the T Higgins um, bomb. Right. So yeah. if he makes that catch, does Matt Stafford win the MVP? Is it that simple? Just one less interception, do it for you. Or was Cooper cup winning this thing no matter what? Well, I think when Cooper cup caught the second touchdown pass for him and the, and the game winner that solidified it. But I do think maybe if Stafford doesn't throw that pick, he could win it. I also think, now, once the Rams took the lead 23-20, the Bengals coming back down. And on the final play of the game, Spencer, Aaron Donald, um, who Michael, my younger brother, said on the last episode would have no impact in the game. He said that Aaron Donald would not be the reason why the Rams won the game. Um, that turned out not to be true. The Rams, he was for sure the reason why the Rams won the game. Yeah, Aaron Donald almost recorded his third sack against Burrow, his third sack of the game. Um, against Burrow on the final play. And I think if Burrow doesn't get that pass off and Donald records his third sack, I think he wins the MVP. So they were split seconds away from having a defensive tackle win the MVP, which is very possible. Um, but, yeah, I think yeah, he could have made a case Aaron for, for Cup sack, or Donald. Aaron Donald's first sack was garbage time because I, I had a bet on the under on Aaron Donald .5 sacks, and that first sack was – a Joe Burrow rollout where he ran out of bounds at like for like not even a yard worth of loss, and if he had extended the ball, it wouldn't have been an Aaron Donald sack. That's a sack. I was pissed about that, and it ended up not mattering. I was in love with that bet though. I thought I was a genius, and it was like plus like two fifty or something. But <laughs> how bad are we mattering. at gambling, bro? God damn it! I'm trash, bro. We are just two trash, trash bags gambler. waving in the wind. Yeah. Christ. Feel like um, a total mush at the end of the game. Just 
Uh, Bengals last drive, dude, they have third and one. So the, the drive starts with a really good gain from Jamar Chase, who breaks a tackle and gets them out around close to midfield um, where they're driving. You think that they're probably about 15 or 20 yards away from being in McPherson field goal range. They get to third and one, Spencer, and you know they're going for it on fourth down. So you have two plays to get one yard. The third and one play was a run to Pirine, to Samaje Pirine. And then the fourth and one play that we just talked about was Aaron Donald pressuring Burrow and then a last second pass to Pirine that looked like it could have been possibly caught. If Pirine didn't give up on the play, Burrow gets the ball out there. The last two plays of the Bengals season should not have included Samaje Pirine. That pissed me off. I was like, why is this guy in the game over Joe Mixon? If you want to run it on third and one, do it. But don't do it with Samaj P. Ryan. They've done that all playoffs. He's been the third down back. It doesn't make any sense to have that, have him be your third down back when you're going to do exactly what you were doing on first and second down with Nixon. If you're going to run it on third and one, run it with Nixon, not Samaj P. Ryan. I was so pissed about that. No, I agree wholeheartedly. I also hated the run call. I think I said that earlier. That was, that was, I think they lost the game on that third and one. Like that, that play call was pretty tough and they ran it right at Aaron Donald. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I didn't understand running it right at him, but like I would, I would have been good with Joe Mixon running the ball in third and one because at the very worst, you're going to have fourth and one. It was my thinking, I, but I guess, but in my mind, put the ball in your best player's hands. Like you just said, throw it, Chase, give, give the, give the guy, your guy, Joe Burrow a chance. And throw it at Chase. At least once. If you don't do it on third down, definitely try it on fourth. Like a slant and, you know, a fade, something. you got to pretend like that that yard line is the end zone. You know what I mean? Like, that's the only thing that matters. Extend the game. And they didn't do that. Um, I, I definitely, it would have made more sense to me if Joe Mixon's in the game there, but I still don't like a run call there. When your season's on the line, I think you give the ball to your guy. You don't get cute with it. And that's what they did, you know? Yeah. And he needed I two chances because Aaron Donald was coming. He had his ears pinned down. Ears pinned back, excuse me. Ears pinned back and down. That's a dangerous yeah. combo. See, see, that's the thing. You know the, you know the pass is coming on fourth down. So now those those guys just completely ignore the run. They're going after Joe Burrow, and they got to him. Yeah. No, I hear you. And, I, I mean, the Bengals Tough. probably have some regrets there on that final drive. Um, all right, well, unless you have anything else on the way that the game ended, we can move on to the halftime show um, and some off-the-field stuff if you want. Uh, no, I think I'm good on the Super Bowl. I mean, I want to see what this Bengals, 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 Bingo, Bengals team can be, you know, next year. Uh, they got to get an O-line, man. It's tough to see a, a team that talented just, like, kind of crumble at the end of the game. Oh, that's definitely number one. Um, I mean, look, I want to talk about the halftime show, but quickly, 2022-23 NFL team odds to win the Super Bowl. Um, the Bengals plus fourteen hundred. They are one, two, three, four, five. They're sixth. 
Um, the Chiefs and Bills are the favorites at seven plus seven twenty five each. The Rams plus eight hundred. Then the Forty ers Packers, Bengals, and Cowboys. Um, so the Bengals, having been three points away from winning the Super Bowl, are plus fourteen hundred to win it the following year. That sort of speaks to what we were saying, dude. It felt like that was their shot. Um, even though Burrow's going to be there forever, it did feel like, boy, they had a magical opportunity there to take advantage. Yeah. It's tough. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two Ds, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561. Check out Savannah's only adult baseball league this spring to play competitive baseball at great facilities across the Savannah area. Three leagues, 18 plus, 30 plus, and 40 plus. S-A-V-M-A-B-L dot com. It's the United States Adult Baseball official affiliate and tryouts are Saturday, February 19th at Scottsdale Park. Opening day for the league is Sunday, March 13th. And you can be a part of over 250 players in a competitive baseball league that's been going in the Savannah area since 2006. Find Sable, S-A-B-L, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and go sign up for tryouts today. S-A-V-M-A-B-L dot com. Tough. Um, tough was some parts of the halftime show, but I, I think overall... I give the halftime show in a B plus A minus for the halftime show. Uh, immediate thought, Spencer. Number one takeaway for me: Why was Fifty Cent there hanging upside down to start? That was so weird. Why was he there? And why did he? Well, start it was off all Doctor Dre's artists. Down? It was all Doctor Dre's artists. Yeah, but you why didn't was get the he theme? Start? I got the th- the theme was obvious when they announced the lineup. But, I mean, yeah. why was 50 Cent batting second and hanging upside down when we first saw him? 45 well, pounds of his, overweight. His, it's his video from back in the day in the club. That's his iconic videos. He's upside down. I didn't know that. Like yeah. Oh, now I feel like an old guy. <laughs> yeah, that's Damn, his iconic videos. Him upside I've down. never seen that video. Goop, goop, goop. Yeah. I mean, that's, just, that's his thing. Yeah. Dude, I, I will say this. How are we grading the Super Bowl halftime show? Are we grading it against other Super Bowl halftime shows, or are we grading it against, you know, just performances in general? Um, good question, good question, good question. Let me consult the bylaws here, Hot Grits Podcast bylaws. We're grading it against the peers, grading it against other halftime shows. Okay, then it's the best I've ever seen. That doesn't wow. mean it's good. That doesn't mean it's good. But it is the best I've ever seen. 
I it, think was it was far and away time, better. It was the first time that I felt like we had a halftime show catered to our generation. And by our generation, I mean if you were born between 1985 and, you know, 1995, that one yeah. was probably for you. Like, and that, that was for us. And instead of having Tom Petty or, you know, old guys up there, and instead of having, you know, what would be playing nowadays or like a country music star or something like that, they had something that was finally for our generation. And it felt like for the first time that, like, I was old enough to where kids younger than me were pissed that this was the halftime show because they just didn't, <laughs> they didn't right. get it. Eminem had to make it about him, dog. Yeah, I thought Eminem came away the worst. I mean, he's still not he bad. He had to I make it about him, C, man. I'd give him C plus, B minus, but definitely came away. We had to make it about him. What did he do, Spencer? Well, the the Neil, he's the only one that did it. I told you something was going to happen at the halftime show. I the told only you that. one that kneels is the white guy. You know, like. I don't know, dude. And he's the last person on earth that has kneeled. It's just like, bro, you're two years too late on the kneel thing. Like, I don't know. Corny. That I thought that was so corny and so clearly like, look at me. But it may, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe that's a tough take for me. But dude, like, come on, Eminem. Let Dr. Dre kneel. Let those guys come kneel. On, don't Marshall. make it about you. Come yeah. on, Marshall. And, and honestly, I didn't think he had the worst halftime show. Like, I've, I've said on this podcast before, I'm not, like, a huge Dr. Dre rapping fan. Um, and I thought it was, like, pretty sick whenever he went into the, uh, the uh, like, lose yourself. Everybody at the bar was going crazy. It was hilarious. But I don't know, dude. The, it was the sick. Neil, I thought it was, I was funny like, how – it was funny how Dr. Dre opens up, like – behind the board, like the soundboard, as if he's like producing the, as yeah, if as if he's like live producing the concert. Right. You know? <laughs> I was like, well, I think that's not true. You know, you could see his fingerprints like all over it though. I do think he was like in some kind of producer, like executive producer. Role. No, yeah, he was like beforehand for sure. But, and, and also yeah. like, I'm pretty sure that I read that Dr. Dre funded the whole thing. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, that would make sense. He's a billionaire. Yeah, he came so up with some headphones. Back. Yeah. He has those headphones, you know? Yeah. I mean, came up on a bag. But I don't know. Halftime show, I'm going to – you said a B plus, A minus? Yeah. All right. I think I'm going to go just straight A. Would have been an A plus if – Eminem didn't make it about him. Going to give it a straight A compared to other Super Bowl performances. I want to be clear. It's not the best performance I've ever seen, but it's probably the best Super Bowl halftime show I've ever seen. Because they're always corny, dude. They always suck. Yeah, there's a few memorable ones for me. Um, The Prince one was pretty cool because it was pouring down rain. It was pouring down rain while he was singing Purple Rain. And I'm not even Prince guy. Give me Michael Jackson over Prince any day of the week, but... That one was cool. That one stood out for me. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, it was so funny seeing all the white guys all over the Internet pissed about the halftime show and about how they're boycotting it or how they're not watching it because, truthfully, what it is is because of them being racist. But then most of it was 
masked as, oh, we don't want to hear hip hop or we don't want to see what the NFL is becoming. These are the same people that said they were boycotting the NFL in general. So if they were boycotting the NFL, they would have never been watching the game to begin with. So I like, I like how they double-sided that one, all the old white guys out there. They never miss a chance, do they? No, they do not. Um, and that's, you know, that's fair. That's a fair criticism of old white guy there. Um, yeah, and there are many to pick from. Right before the halftime show started, Spencer, two notes. Um, a, Maria Taylor says, quote, it will likely be the greatest halftime show ever, end quote. And it's just like, well, you know, it hasn't started yet. So to say that it will likely be the greatest halftime show ever is pretty nuts. I mean, you can make an argument that it was, but the thing hadn't even started yet. So let's back off a little bit on the greatest halftime show ever before it even begins. And then my second thought, Spencer, was I don't know if you saw this video. We talked about last episode whether Snoop Dogg would smoke weed on the stage during his performance. And he did not. I did not make that bet at plus 200. But the video came out after that the Super Bowl uh, showing Snoop Dogg literally on the stairs underneath the stage right before the show begins, like surrounded by people. And he's just bare, like he just lights a little blunt, smokes it, smokes it, and then steps on it and exhales the smoke and walks up on the stage. It's a legendary <laughs> video. <laughs> have, have you seen it? I wonder if that would have, I, I have, I've seen what you're talking about. I wonder if that would have won the bet. You know what I mean? That's interesting. Like it was, it wasn't on the broadcast, but he did it. I don't know. Okay, uh, we'll Another wrap up the Super Bowl. The any uh, any commercials takes? I know you were at the bar watching the game, so the commercial experience is a little different uh, when you're at the bar. Yeah. But I have a few written down, some good, some bad, some weirds. Um, do you have any that you want to start with, or should I just roll through some? No, so there's only one memorable commercial for me, and it's the Lord of the Rings one, dude, because we all erupted, hmm. like – there's like probably 150, you know, right around 30-year-old dudes in the bar. You know, like 25 to 30-year-old dudes that grew up on the Lord of the Rings movies. You know what I mean? And obviously there's a bunch of girls. You're a bunch there, of too. nerds. You, you don't hear a single girl say, let's go. And immediately, as as it's like the Lord of the Rings, and it's a TV series, I guess, is coming out. I haven't even looked into it after it. But I was like, no way! And like, I like put my fists in the air, like I like I just won something. And I looked around, and all the dudes were doing the same thing. Like everybody was so excited. That was memorable. That's okay. All I, I did not have that one written down. Um, I decided to after the first one to keep up with a Peyton Manning commercial count. Um, I had him at four commercials for the game, four different Peyton Manning spots. One of them animated. So um, a nice Super Bowl 56 for Peyton Manning. Wow. As we probably could have expected. We should have we should have pitted Shaq versus Peyton Manning. That that would have been really smart. Wow, who can sell your insurance better, Shaq or Peyton? Yeah. Yeah, that would have been nice. Probably Peyton plus 200. Um, yeah. There, <laughs> there was a commercial with him, Jimmy Butler. Uh, Steve Buscemi, Serena Williams in the bowling alley, the Michelob Ultra commercial. That was pretty sick. Um, there was a Meadow Soprano commercial with the Sopranos intro song. 
featuring, and you know how The Sopranos opens with Tony Soprano driving through New York City. Yeah. With, with Woke the up famous, this morning, got yourself a gun. Got yourself a gun. Yeah, with that famous song. So it was like a 40-second commercial of, but it was Meadow Soprano in the car and, or the actress that played Meadow Soprano. And then at the end, you get to the end of the commercial and you find out it's just a Chevy. It's just a Chevy commercial. <laughs> and those are my favorite types of Super Bowl commercials. When you spend 30 to 40 seconds and you recognize either the music or the actress or the scene, but you don't know what company is is doing this advertisement until the very end. Those are my favorite Super Bowl commercials because they're just so obscure and you know they're so proud yeah. of themselves and so happy with themselves that they've done this. Yeah. They've captivated you for 40 seconds. Um, <laughs> I thought that they was managed to sell exactly no cars, dude. I would have liked to have seen that. And then at the end, she just holds up a can of cat food and it's like fancy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That would have sold some cat food, dog. Like, it really would have. You're not selling a single car because of that. <laughs> what brought you here? Uh, the Meadow Soprano <laughs> Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> Do you have any used Impalas? <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. Oh, man. I can't uh, wait to about, clip that. Um, there was a trailer for Joe vs. Carol. The Peacock Tiger King series, or I think maybe even, I don't know if it's a movie oh, or Oh, I did see that. So that's that's when I I was, you know, your boy was sipping on some barrel-proof bourbon. That's Hello. when I got to about my third or fourth, and stuff start, started to seem a little fuzzy, and I was going to ask you about this. So what's your takes? How does it, what's your, like, first impression just based off the trailer? So it looks like they're going to lean into it heavily. Like they are really going to lean into every, all the like extreme aspects of Tiger King. There are many to be clear. My first takeaway was that Carol Baskin, um, that bitch that killed her husband, uh, she is played by an actress that looks exactly like her. And, uh, Joe Exotic is played by an actor who looks and from the trailer sounds exactly like him. That's my main criteria for shows and movies like this that are based off of like, this is going to be different because this is based off of, not off of real life. This is based off of a TV show that was based off of real life, if that makes sense. So it's, yeah, it's like, based off like a biopic. Yes. Yeah, so it's or not a, a biopic, a documentary, excuse me. But it's a, but it's a TV show based off of a documentary based off of real life. Yeah. So it's like Inception almost it's a little further. Yeah. In, but it looks playing a little cool. game of telephone here. You know what I mean? He, it looked cool though. Like the trailer, I don't remember any of the scenes that were really in it. Cause I just, right when I saw it, I just started writing down, like, don't forget Joe versus Carol. Um, I, it was a big night for Peacock, dude. Big night for the cock on NBC. They had a lot of stuff <laughs> advertising and uh, a lot of new trailers. That was the main one for me though. March 3rd for Joe versus Carol. Can't wait. Well, you gotta hope they got, you gotta hope they go in an eastbound and down direction with this show. They make it really funny. I mean, that's the only angle, right? Like they can't make it a drama. They make it no, really yeah, funny. No, yeah, you can't tackle, like you can't tackle like the possible slate or the possible sex, sex trade, uh, between Doc Antle. Um, you can't, probably can't cover the real life version of Tony Montana that was involved in like a really backdoor way. Uh, in Tiger King, I mean, there's so many different angles they can get to, but I'm sure it'll be. I think they probably can cover that. You just got to make it like R-rated. It's got to be hilarious, man. 
Get Danny yeah. McBride involved. Get these guys, you know, get Will Ferrell in. Mix him in somehow. That's what I want to see. Kenny fucking Powers. Yeah. Um, I Other commercial notes quickly, Spencer. Um, there were not enough commercials this year which featured husbands sneaking around or doing something that their wife um, in the commercial does not know about. Like, those are always the go-to ones for me, the beer ones and the and the chip ones and the junk food commercials where the husband's doing something like just insane in order to get away with something with his wife. There were not many of those. Uh, the, the one thing that there were plenty of Spencer, there were plenty of animal commercials and animals doing human like things. Not funny to me, bro. Never been an animals commercial guy, unless the animal can talk in the commercial. That makes sense. Yes, I, I think I get what you're driving at. Like, there's Super just too many. But... Go ahead. No, no, no. Continue. That was the end of my take. Oh, okay. Too many. <laughs> Trail off. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not a fan of Super Bowl commercials in general. Uh, I think they tend to be pretty corny. And every year there's, like, one that's good. This year, at least... Like, the over-the-top corny ones weren't here. You know what I mean? Like, there was one last year where it was, like, they they were doing some kind of dance. I don't rem- really remember, but I just remember an Asian girl being like, okay, boomer, and it being oh, the most yeah. cringy shit ever. Yeah, it was kind of like a throwback year for commercials because there were a lot of, like, things from our childhood that they brought back in, especially, like, Meadow Soprano. We already talked about that one. The Austin Powers commercial like having Vern Troyer and having the entire Austin Powers cast back for um, I don't remember if that was AT&T or what what company that was for but that was funny to see to see you know Austin Powers back back in the mainstream commercials any other yeah there was a lot of nostalgia nostalgia that's the word for sure yeah they pushed that with the halftime show as well. So, like, it felt like oh, there was a yeah. theme going. Good point. You know? Good point. Bingo, bingo, bongo. Bingo, bingo. Uh, the world's number one real estate agent in the entire world um, is John Carr. Everyone knows that. We we know him. We love him. He's our segment sponsor. Has been for a long time now. Call John Carr if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Savannah area. It's nine one two 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 eight zero nine one six can also find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Seaport Real Estate. John was the 2021 top-selling agent by volume for Seaport Real Estate. And in January of 2022, he cleared over $1.7 million in sales. So let him be the guy to help you buy or sell your real estate in the Savannah area. Call him today. Tell him the Hot Grits podcast sent you. John Carr Realtor, 912 912- Two two eight zero nine one six. Spencer, before we move on from the Super Bowl, any takes on Matt Stafford and his legacy? He became the first Georgia quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl. He's the thirty third quarterback of all time, the thirty thirty third human being to win a Super Bowl as a quarterback ever. Um, but I think more importantly for us, he's the first Georgia quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl. And I think it's sort of a big deal for Georgia. I don't know if I thought this for the last week or so, but now, after the fact, I think it's good for Georgia to get get that monkey 
off their shoulders, so to speak. Georgia's not known for producing professional quarterbacks, and this is by far their poster child, you know, of the modern era, I think. Right. Well, it was kind of a route for Georgia this year. This First off, this type of thing is always good for universities. Like, number one overall guys don't want to come to a school that doesn't produce a great NFL product, just in general. Um, so, no, is Matt Stafford going to, like, drive recruits to Georgia? No, but it's it's definitely not a bad thing, um, you know, and it builds to the overall school, uh, you know, legacy, uh, what's the word, mystique, maybe, um, and prestige yeah, I in general. It, I mean, it brings, yeah, it brings, and look, Stafford's a Georgia guy, but there is a weird thing around Stafford where he didn't do much at Georgia. Like, he did not do much at Georgia. The, the number one thing that Matt Stafford did at Georgia was get selected as the number one overall pick. If we're being completely honest, that's the number one thing that he did for the University of Georgia. I think you could argue that the number two most significant... Wait. What? He got him to preseason number one ranking. I mean... I don't think a preseason number the, one the ranking... The year before, they were pretty, like you know, pretty damn good with that no shot Marino team. Yeah, they were good. Look, like but he's not he's not gonna go down in like Georgia lore for beating Hawaii in the Sugar Bowl or for beating Florida one of three times. You know what I mean? Like he I just there are other quarter the thing that made him so great is that everyone knew he was going to be a really, really good professional quarterback and Georgia has never had that. I mean, Georgia has never had always that. Kinda hated, you've always kind of hated on Stafford. I, it's not that I hate on him. Mean, it's it's that look at objectively what he did there, and it is not only is it not as good as guys immediately before him or after him, it was it was worse. I mean, it, it wasn't. At, he I mean, won a was, major. He won a major bowl. He won one major bowl game, and that's that happens all the time at Georgia. Not at the time for Georgia. You look back, who who did they have after him? They had Joe, was it Joe Cox after him? Immediately after him, I mean, it, it was, really, there was nobody that was of note until Aaron Murray. Right. So Aaron Murray wins an SEC championship. You know, he does a damn thing, but he never really has, well, any, I, uh, I guess. I mean, Murray didn't, even win a t- Murray didn't even win an SEC title, but neither did Stafford. He didn't. You but did Aaron Murray win a – yeah, I don't know. I, the, yeah, I look, think Aaron Murray was probably the better college quarterback. but Right, and but now that now that Stafford has the Super Bowl, I think this validates a lot of stuff for him. And I do think that, it, like, in all-time Georgia quarterback rankings, like, it might even boost him up a little bit just because he won a Super Bowl. I mean, he's the only guy to do that. Like, Fran Tarkenton is the only Georgia quarterback to win a Heisman. He never won a Super Bowl. Um, I don't know. It's significant enough to talk about, but Stafford is always going to be sort of an enigma when it comes to him and Georgia, I think, in my mind. Yeah, he doesn't really rep Georgia all that hard either. Like, you never really hear him talk about it. You never see him at the games or anything like that. Yeah, you never see him on, like – Maybe that's just me. I mean, he's still playing, so it, it's different, I guess. But, like, you don't, yeah. you just don't see him at, like, alumni things. Like, you, you do see other former players – Around the university, much more often than he. Right. Is. But he's still, but he's still playing. 
All right, well, unless you have anything else from the Super Bowl, Spencer, let's get to the Atlanta professional basketball franchise and then wrap up. No, yeah, let's move it along. Uh, the NBA had a crazy trade deadline. James Harden to the Sixers, DeMontis Sabonis, and Tyrese Halliburton, among others, swapped spots. C.J. McCollum traded to New Orleans. Kristaps Porzingis traded. Uh, Boston dumped a lot of salary. Essentially, Spencer, every single team in the East above the Atlanta professional basketball franchise in the standings made themselves better, except for Atlanta. Yeah, it was pretty tough, man. Uh, I had a feeling they were going to stand pat, and I actually liked the fact that they didn't blow it up because they still have some flexibility in the offseason. Uh, when Clint Capella can actually get traded, who honestly has been the biggest disappointment on the team so far. If you point to anybody and look at what they did last year, what they're doing this year, Clint Capella on the defensive end was far and away better last year than he has been this year. And honestly, he's been outplayed by uh, his backup, Onyeka Okonwu, um, who's also much, much younger. Um so I, I think that's their line of thinking. Like, let's, let's make our move in the offseason. Um, we're the 10th seed right now, so we're not going to push all of our chips into the center. When we're, we can't even get over 500. Um, so I don't hate that they kept all their, their main guys together, and they've already made their trade a month ago, you know, with uh, Cam Reddish. Um, I would have liked to I, – I would like to have seen them be a little more active on, like, the periphery. Like maybe don't go get a star, but do something. Dude, if somebody like do if somebody something. Like They're twenty six and thirty. Was, was available. Like I can't think of a better player to pair next to Trey Young, who is like also on his timeline. Like he's a young guy. Who? Who? Who are you talking about? Years. Tyrese Halliburton. Oh, okay. That's so you wanted you wanted Atlanta to get Halliburton. What'd you say? You wanted Atlanta to get Halliburton? If he's available, if a guy like that's available and you're the 10th seed, yeah, go get him, dude. Well, Halliburton went for DeMontis Sabonis, so you would have had to have come off John Collins for sure. I mean, maybe don't trade Collins, but if, if you're, if they're selling Halliburton, if you can send a pack, a crazy package of picks or, you know, one of Bogdanovich or Herder, somebody like that. They weren't gonna beat. They weren't gonna beat the the Pacers offer unless Collins was involved. There's just no way. I, I mean, yes, Sabonis is a better player than all those guys I just mentioned, but all those guys are significantly younger, and it's not like Sabonis is gonna make the Kings like any better than the seventh seed, maybe next year. Maybe Not immediately. I, don't, I just always think about you have to, in order to compete for a title, and by compete for a title, I mean, like, are you a legitimate conference finals team? Like, can you get to the final four and then hope you win? Yeah. In order to do that, you have to have three stars. You have to have three marquee guys in the league. And so for me, if you're a team that's going to be trying to make the playoffs like the Hawks are, like the Atlanta professional basketball franchise is, then find out how many of those guys you have and how far away you are. To me, they had two of them. They had Trey Young and John Collins. I think that's good enough. 
So now you're one guy away. Like I just, yeah, you have to find a way to get one of those guys. Sabonis can be one of three guys to win a title. I think on any team he's on, if there are two other guys that are marquee NBA guys, he could be one of the three for sure. He's one of those types of guys. But the Hawks, yeah. they just cannot, cannot. For me, you can't sit tight while the rest of the league is shuffling. When you have all of these assets, when you have all of these guys that likely aren't involved in the long-term plans, they're likely not helping you do anything presently. What is the point of keeping some of these guys? I just, I couldn't understand why. Surely there had to have been a market for guys like Danilo Gallinari. Well, the good thing about Danilo Gallinari's uh, contract is they can pick it up next year, and then it's a true expiring oh, contract. Oh, Christ. They wouldn't do that to me. Yeah, they would. Oh, no, they're, they're almost gonna certainly some... going to pick up that deal. Oh, Just my God. Just tradability, if nothing else. Um, but, I mean, if they don't, it's because they traded Clay Capella and they're trying to clear some cap space. I, I personally hope they don't. They need to, like you said, they need to make a move and they need to clear a max slot. And the quickest way to do that would be to not re-sign Danilo Gallinari and trade Clint Capella. Um, but, you know, we'll see. This team is always keeping me on pins and needles, bro. They're 26 I, uh, and 30. My, a, 26 and I'm gonna 30. I'm going to put my ceiling at 8. They're a play-in team now. You had them at a you had them at a six seed ceiling last week. What are they now? They're an eight. They're an what eight seed ceiling. Yeah, yeah. I got them still as a ten seed ceiling. They've <laughs> gone five and five. Their last ten games, lost two straight. Uh, really super duper important week for them coming up. Two games and then the All Star break, which they sorely sorely need. Are you excited at all, Spencer, for the NBA All Star game? And the Absolutely. NBA All-Star festivities. Um, I want to see Trey Young in the three-point contest. I uh, I hope he gets more than, like, the ten minutes he did last time he was in the All-Star game. Where he didn't play very much. Just bullshit. Yeah, I'm excited about it in general. Trey Young's an NBA All-Star starter. I think I saw his over-under prop bet for points scored. Spencer, in the All-Star game, what do you think it is? Say ten. It's 8.5, bro. Yeah, they're, they're assuming he's not going to get a lot of run again because he's a younger guy. For whatever reason, the coaches like just don't like him. Are we going to hammer that over? I'm going to hammer that over. How many shots is Trey going to get hit. in the game? He's got to get at least six, right? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be close, bro. I don't know. We're going to have to think about that one. 8.5 If he gets points. more of an 8, he's going to make a run at MVP. That's my guy. God damn. You would do anything for Trey Young to get MVP of any league or any game ever. You just Absolutely. want him to win one MVP. He's never won MVP Absolutely. even in the YMCA league coming up. He's never going to do it. <laughs> you want to do the follow me on Twitter thing? How do they follow you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at SpencerMaddox underscore. Don't you dare forget that underscore. Trav, where do they find you? At Jadon Sports for me. At Podcast Grits for the show. Uh, rate, subscribe, rate, subscribe, rate, subscribe. Until episode 103, stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. Peace.
Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players from ages 8 to 80. Think about that. 8 to 80 It's a young man's game. Full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, helping us out sponsoring the Hot Grits podcast. Give him a call, 912-484-5282.